Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life. Encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. What is a quiet revival? How does Boston United Worship unlock the next chapter of revival worship and prayer gatherings? What is the Vitality Project? This is the story of Dr. Elijah Kim, whom God has placed among the leading spiritual influencers of New England for such a time as this. Unity among churches, church without walls, intercessory prayer, power of revival, beauty of united worship, each resonate and emanate from Dr. Kim. We pause here, as we typically do, to remind you the reason we have the Good Life Show is to share how the love of Jesus Christ makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about Jesus' love, His love so strong, so strong, my friend, that He died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope. Dr. Elijah Kim ministers in Korea, the Philippines, and broadly in Asia. He studied the decline of European churches, Islam, and Judaism in England. He came to Boston in 2004, where he worked as the director of Vitality Project at the Emmanuel Gospel Center. Dr. Kim taught at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, He is president of Elijah International World Mission Institute and president of Pathos Foundation. Dr. Kim, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Dr. Danny Yamashiro. This is an honor to be here and to share the goodness of Jesus Christ at your studio. Amen. Amen. Tell us, where did you grow up? Yeah, actually, I was born in South Korea and... uh, I became a Christian at the age of eight. Uh, my family background was a Buddhist, so no Christian at all. But I personally uh, encountered with Christ when I was very young as I read the story of Jesus in the library. There was no people uh, who introduced Jesus to me, but except uh, the book that, which I has, you know, have the opportunity to read. And then I thought that that's very amazing, the story. I said to God, even though I don't know how correctly called the name of God, if this story is real, tell me uh, through someone that Jesus is my Savior. What made you search for or what led to finding that book in the library? Yeah, actually, that's we call the collection of the uh, great men and women in the world. It's like Alexander the Great and in Hannibal and in Comforts and others. So I have to have the book review. I pick up the life of Jesus. 
So that book, I don't know, is a particular which you know company or publisher the producer did. That's a beautiful series. Yes, yeah, it's a beautiful series. The pictures. Yes, with the pictures, it's uh, probably three to four hundred pages, and thick uh, and heavy. Yeah, heavy it's book. really heavy. But I was like falling into love. You know, it's like you know, I felt that this is something because you know I already read the uh, life of Muhammad, life of Comfort, life of um, Alexander the Great, and, and Napoleon and others, but. The life of Jesus is totally different. He never conquered anyone, but he said that I'm the son of God. And I came to the world to save the world, my life as a ransom for the sinner's sin. And it's something the language and the vocabulary he used is totally different from any others. And, and that's why I said that he's a real person. And I said, Lord, if you are truly Savior, Tell someone about you so that I can have assurance of you. Who did God send? And um, you know what? The, uh, I was able to visit one of the churches, and, uh, and the, I think the woman who was leading kids to practicing Christmas, Christmas carol, she was there, and I boldly asked her, Teacher, can you tell me about Jesus? And the lady, I don't know the name still today, uh, her age is similar to my older sister. And she grabbed my hands and then tell the story about the life of Jesus. It was the same thing that I read in the book. But when she introduced the life of Jesus, I wept and cried because I know that this is a real story. And I already accepted Lord in my heart. And then, after that, my life was changed. So that's a sense, you know, when I accepted the Lord at the age of eight, and I stopped the Buddhist way, I stopped any others, but I gave my life. So you're eight years old, and you already had these convictions, this level of clarity, which may, in some other young person around that age may still be forming, but there was clarity. Where do you think that clarity in your heart came from? What I believe today is the actually conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit. Back then, I didn't know that words. I didn't realize the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, there was no any terminology that I can describe, but make sure that I was assured, I was convinced that I was a sinner, no way to redeem my sin. Even though very young age, I, I, I realized that. So who influenced you in those early years towards growth as a young Christian? And there are many ways that I had uh, kind of influence, you know, in Korean society, back then in 1960s, when I grew up, the Korea was there after the Korean War. It's one of the poorest countries. The people became hopeless. The entire nation was in the uh, poverty stricken. And, you know, people couldn't get a job. 
So that's the, uh, you know, totally the Korean society, you could see that, that the poverty, failure, despair, you know, the dark side. But when, when I attended the church, and I think that's the, um, you know, the guidance of God in my life, because I had a very good church, my pastor, and the, the way that I attended. What part of South Korea? Uh, I think Seoul. In Seoul. Yeah, Seoul is nearby. So I attended church, and then we have series of the revival meeting. I experienced the, uh, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's a very young age, 8, 9, 10. Every year I had a kind of dramatic experience in my life. I started reading Bible. As, as I read the Bible, because that's the Bible is much clearer than the book that I read. So I read every day the Bible. Not only reading Bible, but also studying pray. So that's the another one. And then as I started praying, and, and, and then I became the evangelist at a young age. It's a boy, very little boy, give the evangelism tracts on the street, in the school, in the marketplace, every day. No one asked, asked me to do, but I became voluntary to do. So, you know, because I, I, I wanted to share the, the good things that I had in my life, you know, because if I am good, I believe someone will be good. Because if I find the truth, this truth will be found in someone. So that's why I voluntarily started in evangelism. So I grew up, you know, grew up, but, you know, there are, uh, we call the paradox. I, I am growing up in the spirituality in relations to Jesus at the same time. Very, you know, uh, a good number of people influence pastors and revivalists and others. But on the other hand, I love books. So in the primary school, I read uh, more than 2,000 books. In the middle school, 3,000 books. And in high school, 3,000 books. In my college, I read 10,000 English books. So that's the another one. So it's, there are two tracks. The one is the spiritual life. On the other hand, there is still the very deep, the intellectual life because of my father. My father was a scholar. He was a wonderful, wonderful scholar. So that's, I think, you know, I received that time of the um, gene that which my father just influenced to me. You ministered, you did ministry in Korea. You do ministry in the Philippines and then throughout Asia. So in the, as you're ministering, you speak Korean. Were you able to communicate in other Asian languages the ministry? the gospel with people? Yes. I ministered in Korea for seven years. And then so far, I ministered in the Philippines the 32nd year. This is a little more than 31 years. So I spoke the vernacular language, we call the Filipino, almost like a native. So I don't have any problem writing, speaking, preaching, teaching, training. And also I do speak the different languages and you know, actually it's very fluent in Greek and in Hebrew, and I studied in Latin. I studied in other languages, so, you know, I could comprehend almost by 90-90% Chinese script. So there is no dictionary needed to me as I read any Chinese script, you know, so sometimes uh, communication is not a problematic in other countries. I travel over 170 countries in the world. So, but 
mainly six years, little more than six and a half, so less than seven years ministering in Korea. And then 10 years that I started in ministry in the Philippines and I went to UK. So there I finished up the uh, doctorate. Then in February 2004, this is the 19th year that I stayed in Boston. So overall, it's close to 38 years of my ministry experience. But, you know, uh, I conducted close to 500 uh, conferences and conventions in the world, different countries, Tunisia, Ethiopia, Austria, you know, China, Japan. I've been in Japan for 40 times. You're listening to Dr. Elijah Kim. He, he mentioned he did his studies in, in the UK. He pursued his PhD at, and finished at the University of Birmingham. He is now the president of Elijah International World Mission Institute and president of uh, Pathos Foundation. When we come back from our break, you're going to hear more from him. Uh, I mentioned the Vitality Project. What did he discover through that project? Dr. Brian Wilkerson, senior pastor of Grace Chapel, says of Boston United Worship, organized by Dr. Elijah Kim, what a great experience to connect with believers from across the city, to worship, pray, and recalibrate, and celebrate all that God is doing in our region. Stay with us. We'll be back with more. Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky Leave it to me You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. You can find out more about Dr. Elijah Kim at pathosfoundation.org. The late Dr. Roberto Miranda of Congregation Lion of Judah said of Pathos Foundation's influence, the Boston United Worship and Misbah Prayer Awakening are a major contribution to the efforts to bring revival to our region. You can find out more again at pathosfoundation.org. You're listening to the Good Life Program. Thanks for being with us today. Maybe you caught the tail end of that last segment. You can get this program in its entirety. It's a podcast available for you. Go to drdanny.live. It's there available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and really most major podcast platforms. Dr. Kim, what did you discover? You mentioned you came in 2004 to Boston. You directed the Vitality Project. What did you discover through that project? Well, I think, and I have to introduce first Dr. Douglas Hall, the president of the Emanuel Gospel Center. And yes, I came uh, to Boston, and I mean, he is the person to introduce the situation and context of the churches in Greater Boston. If I describe that as a situation the churches actually experience in Boston, is actually a so-called the uh, rapid contextualization and changes 
uh, of the um, the components of the ethnic representation. Primarily, the Boston is a white city. We call the Boston Brahmin, so the Puritan society. But later on, Irish people came in, and then the Italian came in, and then followed by the Hispanics and Brazilians and you know different uh, immigrants. So when the Emanuel Gospel Center in 1970, uh, I think the more than one-third of the churches declined and shut down. And in 1980, when Dr. Douglas Hall also surveyed the churches in Boston area, I think that more than 60% of churches were not able to survive. So, and then he did again the Decedal research in, in 2000, and he found the surprising fact that, the, you know, it's like the, out of the 600 churches, you know, 260 churches closed at the same time more number of the churches than the 260 churches planted. So uh, there is an added number at a close to 300 churches. So it's in 10 years. So he tried to find what are the churches newly uh, planted. And in, in most of the churches, they are African-American church. And then others like the Hispanic churches. And then there are some number of the Chinese African churches. And then, you know, they mostly coming from the southern um, Southern Corn, we call the Southern Hemisphere. So the Emmanuel Gospel Center was able to research the, uh, the, the components of the uh, new planted church, and, and they have uh, vitality from their own countries, for instance, like Brazil, Chile, El Salvador, Guatemala, Mexico, Dominican Republics, and Puerto Rico, and others. And there's some countries like Nigeria and Kenya, you know, the most of churches are growing so rapidly. So when they planted the church in Boston, not only uh, they started their new church planting at the same time, the, the believers and members of the, each church brought the vitality from, you know, their own country, where uh, the Boston never had that experience, that type of the worship. So the Boston is amazingly, you know, growing up by the ethnic representation of the each country. So, so to say, Hispanic culture at the same time, Brazilian Portuguese, and then we have uh, the number of the different nationalities here. And also the Boston is the uh, third largest Jewish community. So we have the Messianic congregation here. So as I came in in 2004, I became the director of the Vitality Project. So we tried, you know, just, uh, upon reporting all the research Dr. Douglas Hall did, and then we started to, in, in, from my leadership, we tried to call on different uh, cultural leaders. So we inviting them come to our center, uh, Hispanic leaders and Brazilian Portuguese pastors, and then we invited Chinese, we invited the uh, Nigerian, we invited the, uh, you know, the different uh, Ethiopian, Europeans. Ethiopian too? Yes, and mm -hmm. we heard in what their uh, problem they have, you know, although they are doing, you know, the number of problems of the uh, uh, facility and then others, you know, uh, the immigrant issues and the legal issues and others, and then we listen. So there we started the so-called New England Leadership Consultation, which has uh, actually convened at the Grace Chapel. So 
this is so called the uh, uh, the book of action in England. So it's published as a book and then reporting what looked like the Brazilian community in Boston, what looked like the uh, Hispanic communities, and uh, one by one by ethnic uh, enclaves. And, you know, there's some cases like by denominations and, you know, the year they came in and how they grow up. So this is the first time the accurate database and, and statistics we produce. Second one, we started the prayer movements because, you know, each community has the beautiful worship though. But they never be interconnected. You know, Brasilia never had any worship with, you know, the other communities. And, you know, the Hispanic community never had the English service. They spoken in Spanish. And the same things also in Chinese. They never had any kind of prayer meeting, though. So we started Pray for Boston. So the pastors coming in and just praying together. And then another one is actually we call the... Uh, you know, the so-called prayer movements, you know, the beginning from 2004 and five, we have issues of the uh, legalization of the same-sex marriage by uh, Supreme Court's decision, the statements was released. So as a result, uh, the, the two houses at the Commonwealth of Massachusetts amended uh, in the favor of the same-sex marriage. This is a striking issue all over the world and even in the United States. So uh, actually, pa uh, brother uh, Chris Minu, uh, he was the president of the MFI, the Massachusetts Family Institute, and other organizational leaders, including me, uh, we try to have the uh, pledge letter, so-called the, uh, you know, for the uh, amendments of the same-sex marriage turning into the biblical principles. So we got more than 160,000 signings on the paper. So. That's the other one, uniting churches, you know, actually walking and enacting together in prayer. Not only praying simply, but also actually changing society according to the biblical principle. What is the quiet revival? Yes, a quiet revival is, you know, actually um, uh, the definition of the Emmanuel Gospel Center when, as I explained, that we found, you know, the... Uh, like uh, 2010, uh, 2000 was actually six, a little more than 600, close to 700 churches. 2010, after 10 years of research, and we found um, uh, 1,100 churches there. So the number of the churches increased by 400 churches. But there's no sound at all. You know, in Boston, look like the church declining. You know, the church building maintained, it's not easy though. And then, you know, the material price is very high, though. So no one knows that, you know, number of immigrant churches are planting every day, and not every day, every week at least, you know, because it's huge numbers. So it's a quiet. There is no sound. However, it is changing society. It is changing the community. The number of the immigrant society uh, brought the deepness and vitality and livelihood you know, the meaning, the uh, liveness. And, and, and the, the worship is totally uh, different from the uh, mainline white churches here in Boston. So it's named it Quiet Revival. Boston Globe, Boston Herald, New York Times, and others actually quote the Quiet Revival because there is no any sign at all, but the church is still on the horizontal rise. As you take 
You speak about the Quiet Revival. You've described and written about something called Boston's citywide spiritual ecosystem. Is, is that what you're describing, or is there more? Yes. Actually, always we are going to say that um, the category or the classification of the vicinity of Boston. Boston is so small, though. And as the Boston is consisted of the 17 neighborhood and 680,000 population. But no one say Boston within the vicinity. It's like Brookline, Watertown, Newton. I lived in Newton for many years. I felt like I'm the part of Boston. So we call the, uh, not only the city of Boston, but also nearby. So that's what we call the metropolitan Boston. Metro Boston, by the uh, uh, terminology of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts the, within the uh, 68 to eight, 70 towns and cities uh, uh, with uh, 3.5 million people. So if you go, uh, you know, it's a 95 anywhere, that's the vicinity. But if you further up, they expand it a little more. Uh, it's called the Greater Boston, including the southern part of Maine, southern part of New Hampshire and some part of the uh, Connecticut and Rhode Island. So, you know, if you drive up one hour, that's the range of the greater Boston area. It is, you know, actually a little more than 8 million people. So you can see the different dimensions within the vicinity of the city of Boston at the same time, Metro Boston and in greater Boston. So, and, and I survey the churches and, and I, you know, you, because no research institutes and others talks about the entire body of Christ as a whole. So I found 3,000 churches. And then mostly, you know, the churches are so varied in terms of the uh, Hispanic community, Haitian churches, and a number of the uh, Brazilian churches and other churches. So I found a different uh, tapestry of the, the religious, um, um, you know, organizations and churches uh, show uh, different elements of the uh, characteristics, the conservative, the Christian elements, and then there are some way that the evangelical churches can express. And on the other hand, the Pentecostal and charismatic in character. And also some cases, you know, very calm, very mediating and others. So there are all different ways of worship. For instance, like Chinese evangelical churches, you can sense that probably 100 years ago or 120 years ago, that the way they worship is the same way they worship. And then, but, you know, some of the Brazilian, it's the most dynamic and, and vibrant and very, you know, alive. You're listening to Dr. Elijah Kim. And Dr. Kim is the president of Pathos Foundation and the in, president of Elijah International World Mission. He is also the author of a book, The Rise of the Global South, The Decline of Western Christendom, and The Rise of Majority World Christianity. When we come back from our break, we'll hear more from him. Dr. Kim, according to Todd Johnson, Associate Professor of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Dr. Kim is an Asian scholar and practitioner who, while witnessing the growth of Christianity in the Global South, is asking questions about its declining strength in Europe and North America. 
His wide-ranging analysis offers a fresh perspective on trends in global Christianity. Find out more about him at pathosfoundation.org. Stay with us. Road of desperate life, famously beneath the barren sky. Leave it to me. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Dr. Douglas Hall, former president of Emmanuel Gospel Center, said of Dr. Elijah Kim's ministry, the Boston United Worship Meetings have sought to reconnect the declining faith of the Western world with the vital growth, the vital growing faith of majority world Christianity. You're listening to the Good Life Radio program. Thanks for being with us today. Find out more about Dr. Elijah Kim, his book, his ministry at pathosfoundation.org. Dr. Kim, how vital is unity in the body of Christ? I think that's the uh, most um the um the frequent questions that I can receive, but in reality it is a very hard question to answer how we execute the unity among churches. So what type of the unity can we create? And then what do you mean by definition? So but anyway, uh, this is which I believe in, in the Bible verses in John seventeen. It's like I am one with my father, you become one with me. So, you know, the unity in Christ and we're just like the father and the son, the united. And we, as a Christians, we have all differences as culturally, denominationally, doctrinally, sometimes, you know, uh, many in different matters and generationally, and in some cases in genders and others. But only one thing we have in common is the blood of Jesus Christ. So we become Christians, we are saved by the blood of the Lamb, and we are saved by the same Savior, who is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So in this uh, uh, terminology, the unity, uh, although we could see all the diversities in uh, others, but the unity in diversity, that's what I can define first. Uh, no matter what type of church you do and, you know, the doctrines and in some cases the appearance may differ, but we have uh, one Savior, one baptism, one church in Jesus Christ. That's number one. And as I mentioned earlier, in Boston area, the greater Boston and the metro Boston, you know, in each town and city, if you go to uh, uh, if, if you go and visit the churches, you see the different name of the churches, the Haitian church, and then you could see the next one is the Chinese church, and then you, Vietnamese and Cambodians and others. You are able to hear the different languages. You never experience a different way of worship in your entire life. And when you attend like Haitian churches, the way they dance and sing, you had never heard, you know. And the Cambodian community in Lynn and Linfield, and if you hear the words, and it's a very different way. The Vietnamese and Lawrence, and, and then the number of the uh, Egyptians, 
Iraqis and Jordanian people worshiping in a mission here, and so-called the Arabic Evangelical Baptist Church. You know, the, the, the way they worship is in the Arabic language. And, and then it also expresses, you know, more than a thousand years of the Christian traditions they had. And if you are able to uh, attend the Ethiopian Evangelical Church in downtown Boston, they used to speak in Amharic. So that the language you never heard and the, the, the way they dance, you never heard. I, I visited there. I love the Ethiopian way. So we have such varieties. That's why the, when it comes to unity, how do we bring the variety into unity? You know, can you understand the other culture? Would you also accept the different expressions of the worship? There's the song you have never heard, song you never heard, at the same time, never sing. So the Amoric song, and we have the Nigerian song over here in the downtown in Canton, and we have the different way of worshiping brain tree, and then we have different uh, way of the uh, worshiping in, in Jewish traditions in Sharon, Newton, Lexington. We have the different way of the Brazilian community in a native Premingham. We have the uh, Lebanese worship in, in Laurel. So such variety, but you know, I thought that the unity is not like, you know, we can have the Trinity of Confessions and in the five fellows of the Bible, but the unity for me is, why don't you come together? The way we are different, let's come and, and, and just, you know, worshiping together and pray together. Sometimes we pray differently. Sometimes we sing differently. When different singing is singing, we just listen. When different way of the prayer is offered, we just listen. Sometimes we don't understand, but we can hear the rhythm. We can hear the sounds. So I heard, you know, hundred languages in Greater Boston, you know, but, you know, mostly, to be honest, I, I couldn't understand what they said in Amharic and others, but I enjoy because I appreciate and also I respect their cultures. So this is the way how we bring the unity. So when we worship together, not only I'm growing to understand other cultures, but also others growing in understanding us. So that's a mutually, and also it is so-called the uh, uh, reciprocally, you know, between the two parties and three parties, sometimes multiple parties. So seeing the differences together and recognize the differences, not the discrimination, but as the beauty of Jesus Christ. You visit the churches. You've worshipped with very few people. I, I don't know of anyone who could do what you just did, Dr. Kim. Speak about the ethnic diversity of churches and name exact places where those exact cities, towns, where those churches are. Someone listening today is hearing their ethnicity. They're hearing their, the name of their language and they know that you went because you've had to have gone there to name the place. You embody something unique. And really, it's, you are a gift to the body of Christ in New England. And you're a, a picture, an example of an international man with a heart for the world, a heart for, the, for Christ, 
but one who is enacting what it means to be one in Jesus by the blood of the Lamb. I see that in you. And what a gift you are. Say more about how you feel when God opens these doors. Because now I'm thinking, relationships naturally, organically grow with these dear brothers and sisters wherever you meet them. Thank you so much, Dr. Danny. Well, you know, we started our Boston United worship in 2001 in Park Street, Grace Chapel, Lion of Judah. And when it, when it comes to your Boston United worship in Lion of Judah, it is a different matter from Park Street and Grace Chapel. Park Street, Grace Chapel, Bostonian American Church. But the Lion of Judah is a Hispanic church. So I asked them not to have the English service, but then let's try to have the bilingual service. So that, you know, I've been in, in Lion of Judah many, many times, but I want to introduce Hispanic language into the first timers to singing, you know, the alternatively. So the first thing we sing in English, second time when we sing, we sing in Hispanic. So the people were like, you know, oh, you know, people felt and the same thing in an Arabic Baptist church. I asked them, the, why don't you uh, just you know, project the Arabic language? We never pronounce, never practice it, but the way that they worship will follow. The same way in the Ethiopian church, the same way in the Nigerian church, the same way in the Hispanic people, Haitian churches, and in, you know, different churches. When the white people, even some other people, came that services, they said, which weird, strange. I'm not used to be. But at the end, when they finish up the service, they say that this is new experience and an unfolded, you know, the, the way that I didn't know. And also the uh, so-called, the, um, you know, unboxing the new chapter of the, my understanding to other culture. And I appreciate that my neighborhood who have different culture are the part of our community. What is happening as... You create these opportunities. God leads you. You create these opportunities. You embody, as I said. What do you observe is happening in people's hearts when they connect? I wish I could give you all referred, but in reality, I'm not. Because and I encounter all different kind of the aspect and in the reactions. There, you know, there's, there's some cases very positively, but... I don't say that all of the positive, because to understand other culture takes time. It's not easy. One time we attended, and then how could you often up the new way that you understand other culture? And then the first one, you don't feel comfortable. You don't feel very convenient in a way that others worship. The Indian, you know, the, the uh, the people from Tamil Nadu, uh, South India, South Asia, when they expressed that, that someone came to me, I, I don't feel comfortable with them. You know, and also very calm and quiet people attended very noise and Pentecostal way of the Latino church. And then they came to me, I don't like that. Why do they shout? Why, why, why loud boys and worship? 
wouldn't you do that the quiet service rather than the noise service? You know, it's like you could see that the different reactions. And then because what I what I've been in, in worshiping in, in like, you know, my entire life quiet service and some just it's a very noise, loud sound. And it's a huge music, uh, you know, team and band. You don't like. But reversely, someone likes noise rather than the quiet. So if I bring the uh, Brazilians and Haitians and others, and they attended in a very conservative evangelical church, they say that they are dead. <laughs> so there are challenges. Challenges in the diversity. Yes diversity of worship, one can say on, on the one hand, you're breaking ground. On the other hand, there's a redis- resistance because of discomfort. I look at this and I, I think, wow, what, what progress in spite of the challenges? Uh, the, the most beautiful things that I found is actually is the uh, development of the understanding mutually among people. The first time when they attended the United Worship, it became a shock. But the second time, they realized that we are living in a very multicultural society now. We neglect our neighborhood. We neglect the people who live nearby. So when we attended, the people open up, it's like this is what I heard from the Haitian church. And they say that we have first time white people in our church. We never had any white people in our church over 40 years. But in Boston. Yeah, in Boston. And they say that, you know, when they had a united worship, the pastor told me but their worship is beautiful to us. We, be, we, we, be, we become very encouraged because we thought that we are always outside of this society. We never thought that we are the one of many here. But when white people and other people came, that we realized that we are part of the Christian community and as a body of Christ. So this is one thing we see. So that's why we have to keep going. Not to stop, you know, just little by little and then just breaking the wall between the churches. It's going to be united someday. There's a picture I'm looking at of many worship services. And there are many names, 10, 20, 30, 40 names of churches. You've been at this for decades. 20, starting in 20, 2014, 2015, and continuing to 2023. I mean, we're looking at at least a couple decades of this work and continuing. Dr. Kim, as we go to break, number one, thank you for your faithfulness, the example of faithfulness before the Lord. Because as as one might say, anything that's going to have a lasting impact is not going to be a shooting star type of ministry. There needs to be progress over time. So when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about, well, we've talked about what God is doing broadly in the body of Christ. If I may, Dr. Kim, 
I'd like to ask if you can share a bit about your own life, perhaps maybe even some personal moments of challenge that you've seen the Lord work. As someone listens today, it's a very personal matter. So this might be a time to touch them. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Aimlessly beneath the barren sky Leave it to me You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Dr. Elijah Kim is interested in the spiritual ecosystem of Boston because the whole of the ministries in the city is interested, is interrelated with one another as a living system. He's been involved with Intercultural Leadership Conference, connecting New England six states, and became a City Impact Roundtable Executive member. He's also established the Global Urban Ministries Network. You can find out more about him at pathosfoundation.org. Dr. Kim, you are faithful to the vision God gave you while you were at the University of Birmingham in the UK over two decades ago. The work has continued, 2023, and following more churches, more interconnection, worshiping together. How has the Lord helped you personally, within your own life, through some challenging times? Thank you for asking me, uh, Dr. Danny. Um, As I expressed in the beginning, that uh, I ministered in Korea close to seven years, and then I was really happy to work uh, with uh, the churches and in the Philippines as missionaries. Uh, the, the organization that I involved is the PCEC, the Philippine Council of the Evangelical Churches, the Bishop Ephraim Tendero. So, in its uh, make long story, uh, the Philippines was the uh, truly, truly um, the Catholic dominant country in Asia. So there were a very small number of the evangelical and progressive believers in the Philippines. But as I came and I walked together with them, and the church started to grow. So I never aimed to have the one church grow, but the nationwide. And the whole entire archipelago, we started like leadership training, conferences, and cell group meetings, and, you know, the... um, evangelism, leadership training, and all others, and then the church began to grow. So I fell in love in mission and evangelism, but as I studied in in Islam and in uh, post-modernism, secularization in Europe, and in revival and awakening in Birmingham, and then I thought that I want to come back to the Philippines so I can teach in the uh, the, one of the top universities professors, there are multiple opportunities that I could, you know, promote the scholarship, you know, into uh, writings and in teaching and in training, though. But my wife saw vision that uh, my wife and myself and my daughter uh, came to some city crossing the ocean 
And then she saw the multiple number of the people, close to a million people, gathered together in the city. And then she saw that this is a, you know, where I was preaching. So she saw. And uh, uh, in, the, in the twilight, when the airplane is crossing the ocean, and she saw that in the uh, skylight, uh, there is uh, like a fireworks, you know, making letters, B-O-S-T-O-N, Boston. So she was very amazed. What is this? And then God said to her, your husband's ministry in the Philippines is finished. So I'm going to call him to go to Boston. And there will be new revival and awakening beginning in the city. This is a vision that she's yes. seen. So she called me from the Philippines. Sweetheart, don't come back to the uh, Philippines. You have, a, you have to go to Boston. I got angry. I don't know anyone in Boston. I don't have any connection in the city of Boston. So why me? And she explained the vision, what she saw. And then she said that if my God is your God, if your God is my God, why don't you pray? And then ask him that what direction will come to you. So I start uh, actually fasting on water. Then I pray deeply for 21 day fasting on water in UK as I finish my doctorate. So I received the words, son, come to Boston. There will be a new revival and, and a new way of the awakening. It, it is unprecedented. It is not comparable to the, uh, the way the revival and an awakening took place in the previous era. It's going to be new and fresh and in a and in totally different way of the revival will come from Boston. So I follow and submit to the call and then came to Boston in, in 2004. It's a February 2004. And then I met Dr. Douglas Hall. So there was already quiet revival ongoing. But, you know, the ethnic church, churches and the church planting movements and took place in, in Boston. But some way that it's a real, the fresh anointing we needed in the city, the dying churches, sleeping churches. So, and, you know, the first one is the uh, things that I did is to learning from others. So we call the creating learning community, so we, which I involved, like, you know, in, within the vicinity of the New England area. I learned from others, and then I involved the City Impact Roundtable. This is the 500 cities in the United States, according to Dr. Billy Graham. He said that USA needs a church course and revitalized revitalization in this country. So therefore, I had a, you know, national leaders with the City Impact Roundtable, according to uh, the vision of the Billy Graham the Evangelistic uh, Association, and also this so-called Mission America Coalition. So we work together as a design team. It's key members working together. And then I created the Global Urban Ministry Network among the European continents in North America, Australia, and then New Zealand, and in India, and other country. But as part of all those, and I realized that the most important thing in Boston is to see the next chapter of God's movement. But, you know, we cannot create it. We cannot create the God's movement. We cannot uh, create the revival. But we can prepare ourselves, receive. So it's totally, we have to be careful that the, the words that, that I experience. 
No one can create revival. No one can just, you know, bring up the awakening. But rather, when God is going to move and when the Spirit of the Lord touch the land, and I think we need the people who prepare the way for the Lord. So Jonathan Edwards is the one actually prepared the way for the Lord. Charles Finney is the one actually recipients and at the same time prepared the way for the Lord. And D.L. Moody is starting the actually different way of the uh, movements, the SBM student volunteer movements for foreign missions to prepare the way to bring up and train up the children and students to be missionaries. So the, the way we do as a human part is not creating the spiritual movements, but we can prepare. So the first one that I started it is actually breaking between the wall because we have division in the city. We have the divisions among the uh, denominations. We have divisions among the ethnicities. We have divisions in the cultures. So far, we have division in languages. You know, the English is common, but there are different languages are spoken in our cities. So why don't you break this division first so that we can mutually understanding. And then the second one that I did is actually in a way that people can recognize how God is working in other culture. Let's pray about this. I want you to pray for our Amen. listeners. Would you do that, please? And as we close today, a prayer of blessing. Amen. Father, we thank you for this beautiful program. Dr. Danny's Yamashiro's uh, programs and, and all of the listeners and the beautiful hearers in this radio show. I pray that, Father God, you break the wall, you break the divisions, you break the curses and, and condemnation by the blood of the Lamb. I pray, O oh Lord, that not only blessing will become upon the city of Boston, but also that the every nation and every people in the world because we know that Jesus is the Savior, He is the Lord of all. And we pray that the only the way that we could do is the, uh, the forgiveness and redemptions and, 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 and the salvation through Jesus Christ, that, that everyone in us become the children of God. Lord, bless us, O Lord, as we come into your presence. Make, make us to be united in the body of Christ as we have the same Father, same Savior, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Dr. Kim, for Thank being you. with us today. Words of revival from Dr. Elijah Kim, pathosfoundation.org. My friend, God's timing is perfect. And there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And look, if you haven't done so, hey, I believe this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus Christ. Would you do that? Go to drdanny.live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and major podcast platforms. Habakkuk 3 verse 2. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. Elijah Kim, pathosfoundation.org. Until next time, along with my producer and creative director, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, guest coordinator, Jan Yi, and board operator, Joseph Valdivieso. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast 
of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.